big warm welcome to you. This is the Aware Parenting Podcast with Lael Stone and Marion Rose, PhD. We have juicy conversations about things that matter in parenting and life. We're exploring all that Aware Parenting has to offer from many different angles, and we are so glad that you're here. Hello and welcome to the Aware Parenting Podcast. I'm Lael Stone. And I'm Marion Rose. And today's podcast is called Discipline and Consequences. And we really wanted to talk about this because it's something that we get asked about all the time. Uh, it's something that I think parents are often very concerned about or they're very curious as to how to raise their kids so that they uh, end up being respectful humans in the world. And I think, I mean, we've got a lot to say on this, but I think a lot of that comes from this old paradigm that if we don't discipline our children well enough, then they'll be out of control and they won't be respectful and all those kind of things. So we're going to speak a lot to that today around where discipline comes from, what that actually means, even what natural consequences are and how sometimes we want to use consequences to get our kids to do what we want them to do. And I think the bigger picture of, again, raising kids with awareness and respect, you know, so that they are in tune with themselves and, you know, we can have harmony in our families. I'm just going to acknowledge that we have the beautiful birds as our backdrop today <laughs> because where Marion's recording from, the beautiful birds that are, live near where she's, uh, as she said to me, are happy birds because it's raining. We love that it's raining. Um, and so we have a little bit of background of birds today, which is a nice, beautiful soundtrack to have. <laughs> yes, uh, I'm, we're both in Australia and we've had a lot of massive drought here recently so, and lots of rain last night. So I'm delighted to be seeing all the birds eating the pollen and just in delight with all the lovely rain. So, yes, and... In a way, I like we can segue to segue to whatever's happening in, in in the podcast to to this topic, which is really the way we are perceiving something has a tremendous impact on how we feel and how we're able to respond. So, really, what we want to offer in this podcast is the aware parenting perspective, which is a very different lens through which we view human behaviour, including children's behavior and when we see things through this different lens it not only um, gives us very very different um, tools and strategies uh, ways to respond but it also means that we feel very differently because if we are if we are telling ourselves that the reason our child is uh, jumping up and down on their chair at dinner time, if we're telling ourselves all kinds of uh, unenjoyable things about the reasons why they're doing that, the old-fashioned ways of thinking, you know, that might be something like they're doing it deliberately and they're just doing it to wind me up and harsher things than that, we're liable to feel frustrated and powerless and then to want to move into um, artificial consequences or punishment or coercion or shaming or we're just going to get frustrated and shout or something unenjoyable is going to happen so the aware parenting paradigm is really about understanding the root cause of human behavior including the behavior of children and when we understand from this really compassionate lens why children do things like stand on the chair at dinner time uh, we we have not only more likelihood of feeling calm and relaxed and present, and in as you so beautifully talk about now that that beautiful anchor, then we can also then use these beautiful tools and ways of responding to help children want to, for example, sit down and to be able to sit down and be uh, be quiet and concentrating at dinner time. So it's really that's what I love about aware parenting. It may seem sometimes to be. Uh, a set of practices and approaches, but it really is basically a fundamentally different um, perspective of human beings, why we are the way we are, why we act in the ways we do, and really understanding behavior at that root cause and making changes at the root cause rather than sticking things on the top like a plaster or a bit of icing on the top of the cake. 100%. I mean, I, I'd like to start with saying, one of the questions I get asked a lot in having you know, big um grown-up children now 
I call them my grown-up children because they're all <laughs> taller than me, just about, and big. So one of the things that I'm asked about quite often is how do I discipline my children? And I often reply, well, I don't because I've never felt a need to discipline them. And I think in a minute we'll talk about what actually discipline is or the origin of where it comes from. But for me, I think understanding these aware parenting principles, I always just came back to a place where I thought, and I talk about this all the time, my children are either in balance or they're out of balance. So when they are behaving in a way that is is not enjoyable when they're doing something, you know, mean to their sister, when they're, they're, you know, yelling or they're doing something which is not their natural state, straight away my response is, oh, there's something going on for them. They need some support with this. So my job in those moments is to connect in with them, to use some of the the beautiful tools that we talk about and we will talk about today to help them process whatever's going on. So I never felt like there was a, if you're doing something wrong, I need to tell you off. I need to pull you in line. I need to make you feel bad so you won't do the same behavior again. And I think that's where we sit a lot of the time still in our mainstream parenting, particularly in that behaviorism paradigm of, you know, in order to make someone behave better, we need to make them feel worse first. uh, And then they'll actually change what they're doing, which we know doesn't work. Uh, but that's still what's ingrained in us. Whereas I guess what I always looked at with my children is when they are acting out, that they are waving that red flag saying, there's something going on for me here. I need some support. I need some help. And I really want to just offer parents, you know, because we come from generations that really promoted discipline in the sense of that it really is about punishment more than anything, that it is very hard not to jump into that knee-jerk reactive response when we are seeing our children act out in that way. It takes a lot of practice and it also takes that work within ourselves to find our own center so that when our children are acting in that way, we can be that anchor to say, there's something happening here. How can I support you to help you come back into balance? And I think when I really began to understand those principles and work with them in my family, there was no need for discipline. And I'm using that in inverted commas because, you know, our, our children's natural state was to want to feel connected, is to want to do the right thing. So when we're seeing them act in ways that are really tricky, for me, I always come back to, oh, there's something going on for them. And my job is to figure out or help them to unpack what that is or to offload what that is so that they are in balance and we can then continue forward. So for me, I think I've always found discipline a very curious thing. I get asked about it in every workshop I teach, every talking um, seminar that I do is always about, but, but how do I still discipline them? Even after you give all this information, I think it's still ingrained in us often is, well, how do I discipline them so that they don't grow up to be you know, ungrateful or they don't grow up to be rude or all those kind of things. So perhaps what we should do, Marion, is unpack a little bit more first around the whole concept of discipline and and where that comes from, because I know you are so brilliant at bringing in all these magical origins of stuff. So talk to us about, you know, that whole understanding or I think the belief around discipline. Mm. So I think it's been around for thousands of years, you know, at least 2000 years and, and probably a lot longer. The idea basically that human beings are bad and a lot of that was based in religion, the idea that we're born evil and that we need to be uh, forced by in harsh ways to, to be in inverted commas good. And um that is, that is designed, you know, what I love to keep coming back is to our culture. We are designed to internalize the culture that we are brought up in so that when we become parents, we pass it down. And what I often like to say is that that works really well in a culture that is deeply connected with the earth, is deeply understanding of um, of how everything fits together. But in, in a culture where it come, becomes disconnected, in which Charles did a long, long time ago, that means we end up passing down things that aren't so helpful, but that's what we're designed to do. We are designed to pass down what we received. So I think that's really helpful to remember when we find ourselves doing something perhaps that was done to us or moving into thinking, you know, they're doing something wrong. What can I do to make them stop or to, you know, to we, we go into those ways is that it's so normal and natural to do that because that's the conditioning we experienced. And it's a big job to, to unravel that. We looked up the origin of the word discipline. So the original uh, meaning of discipline was from the Latin D, 
discipulus, 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 um, which is actually to do with um, instruction and knowledge. So that's the Latin. But then it turned into old French and English, which became, how's this for for really the, the idea that we're really bad as human beings? Mortification by scourging oneself. That's the Middle English. <laughs> so, you know, it's really that, that basic fundamental idea that we all pretty much internalized as well, that in order to be, as you say, loving, cooperative, connective, helpful human beings in the world, as children, we need to be punished and rewarded. We need to be taught. So we need to have, it's the idea that underneath we're bad and we need to have this, this layer of enjoyable lovingness laid on the top of that. Whereas aware parenting is really based on a fundamentally different conceptualization of human beings, that our true nature is, as I call it, love, is awareness and presence. We naturally want to connect and cooperate and contribute, I call it the three C's. And when we are not behaving in those those three C ways, as whether we're a child or an adult, it's because of three reasons. And I love, this is from Alita Salter, the founder of Aware Parenting, uh, and I, I've, I put them in a slightly different way of uh, different languaging, but it's really from her, which is what we're thinking, what we're needing and what we're feeling. So that's really looking underneath the behavior, whether we're a parent or whether we're a child. And we can go through those three things So rather than trying to um, make children behave in the ways we want to, or we're doing the same for ourselves. I and mean, that's what guilt is that we did a whole podcast on that. That's what, um, self-judgment is if we perhaps act in ways we don't want to whether that's as a parent or with our partner we do that internally uh, we do that with each other you know if you've had a really hard day and you come home and you shout at your partner and then someone were to say to you you know if you if you shout oh, you're not going to have your dinner and you need to <laughs> I'm not going to take your phone away from you does it actually work and the same with guilt you know we we might we might do something harsh to our child and we might guilt ourselves you know all afternoon all day for the whole week about what a terrible parent we are does it actually help us at the root cause of why we behaved in that way no none of these things do but, but so what aware parenting does is it helps us it gives us these three really clear things to look at so we can go through the list you know are, are they needing information what are they thinking do they need something? Do they have an immediate need for connection or for autonomy and choice, for respect, for play, whatever it is? Or the third thing, which is what they're feeling. In other words, do they have some painful feelings bubbling up in them that are causing that behavior? And what I love to think of is, again, if we think of ourselves in that way, we're the same. You know, if you're telling, if we're telling ourselves the reason our child uh, is hitting their sister is that because they're terrible they're a bad person <laughs> we're going to feel probably angry and frustrated and we want to we're going to want to do something harsh if they're doing if you know if we're having a day and we've had no sleep so i'm talking about needs if we've had no sleep or we haven't had any empathy or we've just had no connection no time for ourselves so many of the things which we experience as parents in this culture i'm sure you've experienced that i invite you to connecting with yourself when your needs are chronically unmet do you end up behaving in ways to your child that you don't want to? We're just the same. And that third reason, which is the painful feelings that bubble up, you know, when our child does one little thing and we have a massive response, perhaps a rage response, that is nothing to do with them. That's our own little five-year-old or little two-year-old and those feelings are bubbling up and we are behaving in ways we don't want to. And, you know, children are just like us, only they have even less prefrontal cortex online. They have even less understanding. They have, you know, less choice and autonomy. So, I think it really helps to put ourselves in their shoes so often and realize that we have these same three reasons and harshness never works for us. It doesn't work for children. It just adds more pain on the top, which then leads to either more unenjoyable behaviors or just more hurt inside. So I know it's a long piece, Lau. I'd love to hear, I'd love to hear some No, more I love you. it. It explains so beautifully because really all behavior has a reason. We, every, <laughs> the way we behave, there is always something that is, is pushing that up. There is something there that's, that's present for us. And just before we got on, we started, 
started recording today, we, Marion and I always have a little check-in, you know, how are you? What's going on? Where are you at? And I was sharing that I was feeling a little bit annoyed about my 19 year old son because it's my daughter's birthday and um, we were having a bit of a family gathering and he said, I can't come. He's got another commitment. And, you know, I'm always very supportive of my children following their truth, what they need to do, what's what's alive for you, all those kind of things. And he's going to come to another thing that we're doing for her birthday. But I had this real edge come up for me of like, you need to be there. It's the family. And all of a sudden I was sending him these very short, curt text messages, which I think he was, he's like, mom, are you okay? <laughs> Messaging me back. And I was like, oh, there's an edge here for me around this because, and, and then as I was just sharing with Marion, there, there's a bit of a story there, you know, that traces back a little bit for me about doing the right thing with the family and what that should look like. And even though I really support my children to really follow their truth in what they're doing, and I want to do that for me, there was a tiny little piece there. So really just even acknowledging myself, this is actually nothing to do with him. This is something about me around another little piece left over. And that's why I'm responding in that way, which is not normally my natural state. So, I mean, that's a very small example. And, you know, it it was pretty minor. And in those moments, I can feel what I'm feeling for me and not projecting that onto him. But I think as you brought up so beautifully, Marion, when we have our four-year-old in the kitchen who's just tipped all the cereal on the floor because that was fun or um, because they're grabbing the dog too tight or, you know, when we do not have the spaciousness within us when we're not feeling reserved to connect with our kids, you know, we are going to respond harshly often. And, you know, and I think that, you know, so much of what you're saying is again, what our children are doing, we are often doing, and we often have higher expectations on our children than we do on ourselves. So, so often we expect our children to behave in ways that we don't even behave. And as you were saying, they don't even necessarily have the capabilities for that, you know, yet particularly with their brains and what's going on i mean they absolutely also do but i think that you know we have to look at from a grander picture here we are always behaving in certain ways because there are often needs unmet needs there's built up feelings everything you're saying about marion is usually sitting just underneath the surface and i guess part of being a very conscious parent is within ourselves firstly is to work with that is to acknowledge what is present for us is to meet our needs so that we can then come to our children and be able to see always behind the behavior and hold that you know accordingly to help our children navigate what's going on for them and it sounds so easy in theory <laughs> but it's not it's really hard so for anyone listening they're going yeah that sounds really great but my god i'm like i hear you we both hear you there are many times where i have not been aware parenting lail at all and uh, have been very reactive and you know that's why we have repairing which is amazing and why healing is always possible because nobody's perfect and you know we we're fabulously flawed humans that we um in the sense of just you know making mistakes because that's how we grow and that's what we do so a lot of compassion if you're hearing this thinking yeah that all sounds really good but um how do we do that so i think coming back to again just the whole piece around discipline is that what you shared so beautifully marion is that it really is an outdated belief paradigm that I really believe needs to be shifted and changed. I mean, not only in our families, but so much in our education system, which, you know, I'm quite passionate about because we still are driving or pushing children, you know, when they're feeling out of balance, when they're acting out in the classroom, we're still punishing them, you know, for not being good, which means be quiet, sit on the floor, do as I say in a lot of levels. So, you know, I think there's a, we need to have a bigger, greater understanding as a, as a, a world community around what this is. And I think on some level we're trying to get better because I think we've replaced discipline now with consequences. That's, I think, the word that's often used, not so much discipline, but consequences. But sometimes consequences are just packaged up a bit more um, palatable, uh, but are really still trying to implement that old kind of discipline style as well. Do you want to talk about, you know, we talk sometimes, a lot of parents ask me about what are natural consequences and then what are other consequences. Do you want to talk perhaps about the difference of those two things? 
Uh, I, I would actually just like to say one more thing about the bigger picture, because, you know, that's my particular passion is, um, you know, I actually think what's happening is part of, uh, I'm really into decolonization at the moment. So really seeing that so much of these ways of treating human beings is got spread around the world with with colonization with europeans it will start off with well start off a long time ago but you know romans taking over great britain and then the british going and colonizing all kinds of places and taking with them this kind of coercive and disconnected way and <laughs> your sigh of being with human beings and i think that's why you know to really see that this this is hard it takes time and practice and diligence and a lot of self-compassion but it's not just about changing your child's experience and helping them actually naturally um, behave in more enjoyable ways because we've helped them actually feel more comfortable in their bodies and more connected and all of those things um, but we're actually helping change on a much bigger collective level. We are actually helping shift the paradigm which we live in. And, you know, that is a big thing. So I think keeping on coming back to that's why it's so hard, because we're designed to pass on culture. We're designed to pass on the conditioning we receive. And it's a big, big ask to change that. So if, if ever you're, um, you're noticing yourself doing this and you might then pick up a guilt stick, I invite you to put the guilt stick down and, and to see that's a marvelous thing to be aiming to do this at all. Mm. And before we jump into the consequences yes. thing, I just want to yes. say it's what I see a lot of with yes. a lot of the teenagers I work with and are blessed enough to hang out with is that when a lot of them have grown up with discipline in their families, which usually is about, you know, the bribes, rewards, or, you know, if you do this, you'll get that. Or if you behave in a way I don't like, you're going to be grounded or I'm going to take something away from you. All it often does, particularly when it's about we're going to take something away from you, these teenagers, they even say it to me, I just get better at lying. I get better at hiding at it. You know, my parents are pretty clueless. So, you know, I, uh, I tell them what they want to hear and then I just do what I want. So there's a real lack of connection that happens. So one lovely teenager that I know often says that, you know, she's figured out what kind of leverage she needs to use to get what she wants. So she can kind of drop her grades or not try that hard. And her parents will say, you know, we want you to get better grades. So if you do better, we'll give you this much money or you can buy this at the end of it. And she's like, and that's how I can get what I want. So a lot of the motivation for her to do, you know, well is really it's it's an external pressure. It's an external ask. It's not an intrinsic motivation that makes her go, I want to do well because I want to try hard or this is what I I, it lights me up. It's more about what can I get from out of this. So I think that's what we see a lot with the whole punishments, rewards paradigm um, is around this whole, you know, it's not about the child going, this is what feels right for me. It's usually about how do I get my own way? And it's usually based on a lot of disconnection. Yes, and I, I know, Lau, you were mentioning before we started recording the work of Alfie Cohn and his books, including Punished by Rewards. And, you know, he really talks a lot about that, doesn't he, about how, um, and there are lots of actually research studies that show when we, even with rewards, which can seem kind of enjoyable, <laughs> that actually if you reward a child, for example, for they, they did an experiment rewarding a a child for um, doing a painting mm. and the children that got rewarded once they took the reward away they were much less likely then to actually want to do paintings than children who had never been rewarded so it really does deeply affect as you're talking about those internal uh, that internal motivation and our actual desire our young people's desires to actually um, back to those things, you know, to cooperate, to contribute, to actually follow their their internal um, promptings. It, it's really, it, it's really also so much about that adding the icing on the top of the cake, rather than on um, creating a lovely cake. <laughs> mm. Yes, absolutely. And I think you know, going back to the whole consequences thing too. You know, so I think you know, discipline. 
I think there is a bit more awareness now that, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't help when we are treated harshly when we're, you know, especially things around smacking and, and all those kind of things where we're hope that, well, I, I hope there is more awareness around that that doesn't necessarily serve us and serve children. But I think where I have seen is that consequences have come in as a bit of a replacement. And as we talked about, or I mentioned before, you know, there's often natural consequences and then there's using, you know, there'll be consequences if you don't do what I ask you to do. So you, do you want to talk a little bit about what a natural consequence might look like, Marion? Yeah, we were trying to think, well, we were aiming to think of them before we spoke, didn't we? And one I thought of would be, for example, if you have cooked dinner and your child doesn't want to eat that dinner, um, an artificial consequence would be if you don't eat this dinner, you won't get any dinner. You won't get any food for the rest of the evening, no, no food. Whereas a, a natural consequence might be something like if you, if you don't eat this soon, it's going to be cold and you know, you might connect in there with your, you might be unwilling to heat it up again for them. You might be willing to heat it up for them again. It might not taste very enjoyable, those kinds of things. Or you might need to choose something from the fridge that, that you, that you want instead. So it's really a natural consequence is the thing that actually will naturally happen. An artificial thing is something that we've added on the top of that, which is usually harsh in some way, shape or form. And I think the motivation behind that is from the parent, I want you to do what I want you to do. And, you know, I think that's where it gets really sticky for people because, you know, there's times with our little people where we are going to have to say, look, it's not safe for you to run out on the road or, you know, I need to change a nappy or there's things that we have to do sometimes that, you know, children don't want to do or they, you know, because that's not part of their, you know, plan in that moment. You know, I'm happy building trains and I don't want to change my nappy. Um, but sometimes we have to do things with our kids and we often suggest, you know, talking to your child about what you're going to do, giving them some choice and autonomy around it if you can. But when we use threats or, you know, consequences in the sense of that if you don't this, this, you're going to do that, you know, that feels often very overpowering for a child. It doesn't often feel good for the parent either because we're having to, you know, enforce something on the child that we don't want to do. And there's, you know, there's slight little nuances and, and differences within them, I think, when we are coming from a place of centeredness and, you know, this is what we often talk about with loving limits, when we can connect in with our child, let them know that what we need to do, give them choice. And then if they still don't want to do that, we might have to be like, I really see you don't want to do that, sweetheart, but this is what we're going to have to do now and be able to hold a space for them to protest within that or do what we need to do and then be able to stay connected and listen to their feelings as opposed to overpowering them and just saying, well, I've given you choice and you're not going to do it. And now I'm doing it my way. And we're coming from a place of agitation or anger or, um, you know, where we're feeling powerless because they're not doing what we want. And that's a very, very different vibration that we're attending to with our kids. So I think the thing when we're talking about consequences is those natural consequences are things that will happen just naturally, um, you know, even like if your child's standing up on the chair, you might want to say, you know, just be mindful, you're standing up on the chair, you know, you, you might topple off or you have to be careful up there and the natural consequences, maybe they do fall off the chair. Um, whereas again, I think when we're doing, as you said, an artificial consequence, it's still really the motivation behind it is I want you to do what I want you to do. Yes, yes, he says. And of course, in aware parenting, one of the fundamental tenets of aware parenting is finding ways for everyone to get their needs met. So it's not about authoritarian parenting. It's not about permissive parenting. It's looking at how can I get my needs met in a way that's also about getting my child's needs met, which is why, again, having those, those list of three things can really help us work through, okay, what's happening here? How can I find a way for both of us to get our needs met here so that I'm not needing to use power over or coercion, but I'm also not needing to go into powerlessness and giving up on my needs because that's only going to lead to us feeling uh, resentful and frustrated and they're going to pay for that in the end anyway. So there's, there's a few really practical things we can do. That, again, Aletha Salter lays this out really clearly. So um, if, uh, if we're wanting our child to do something, so if we're wanting to elicit cooperation, there's a beautiful, another little list of three, you know, I love the list of three that she talks about, which is um, the three things are number one, letting them know what we want to happen. So that might be something like, um, you know, I'd really like us to get in the car. 
in the next 20 minutes or so to get out to to go and do the food shopping so that's letting them know so that's giving so we're going back to those three things remember the 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 thoughts the needs and the feelings so we're giving them information so that's a really key point but often in the more mainstream paradigm information is seen as like the king so we give them information and we expect them to do what we want them to do without realizing that as human beings our cognitive minds are important but they're not the only part of us because we also have needs and we also have feelings from the past so the second um, point in that list of three first of all let them know what's happening secondly is giving them choices about that so it might be um you know do you want to um finish that chapter that you're reading do you want to bring um a bear or a game do you want um to walk or do you want me to carry you that's of course if they're a small child <laughs> not your teenager mm -hmm. so we're giving them choices so that really meets their need for autonomy which when we're looking at needs for children probably two of the main needs for most children i would say are number one for connection the second is for autonomy and choice so we're meeting that need, which means they are more likely to be willing to cooperate because they have that sense. I have some autonomy and choice here about what, about how this happens. And then the third thing in the list is to make it fun. So uh, the reason behind that being that, um, as we've talked about in previous podcasts, we have the one on attachment play, for example, that there are two main key ways that children release painful feelings. One is through um, crying and tantrums, crying and raging, and the other one is through laughter. So when we move in with play and we make things fun, uh, and we're likely to elicit some laughter, and, and that is part of the releasing painful feelings around powerlessness and frustration, which are often one of the core reasons why children aren't willing to cooperate in the first place, is because they've got old feelings in there around not getting to choose and not getting to have their, their autonomy met, which means they're less and less likely to cooperate with us. So in that case, it could be the... Um, the fun game might be, you know, especially for a younger child, you want to um, be elephants or giraffes as we're going to the car. Shall we put our superhero um, outfits on? I'm super mummy and I'm going to take you to the spaceship and we're going to be flying to planet Zog to get our super peas or whatever it is. And, and again, just if we think about that list of three things, you know, it's really, we're very similar again as adults that if, if we want to be willing to cooperate with someone, we are far more likely to cooperate if we have clear information about what's required of us. We have some sense that our own needs of autonomy and choice are being valued and honored and that it's fun and enjoyable. I mean, it just makes sense, doesn't it, that we're likely to cooperate uh, if we have those three things. So that's if we're wanting, instead of consequences, that's a really beautiful way to elicit cooperation. And then the other thing is what happens if our child is doing something that we don't want them to do and we want them to stop that. So then we can look at how we can help them stop. I don't know if you want to talk about that, Lael, or Yeah, I love that explanation, Marion. So good. And I just want to add in a piece of, you know, I love how you gave that example of what it would be like for the child. It's exactly the same for us as an adult. You are yeah. so right. If we have to do something that isn't necessarily high in our priority list, if there is connection there, if we have choice around it, if we do understand it, we are far more willing to actually do that. And again, I think we, we place unrealistic expectations on our children <laughs> to just do as we say when it's not really part of what lights them up a lot of the time. So having that mindfulness and awareness around it is amazing. And I would also like to say that all of that applies to teenagers as well. So I often you know, have um, a lot of conversations with parents who have teenagers where their teenagers are, you know, they're not doing their jobs around the house or they won't get up for school or they're not doing their homework. And, and the same three things apply to is that need for information. So if it is about jobs, I found this with my own kids. If I'm like, you know, can you please fold the washing? And they're like, no, I don't want to fold the washing. I always have to fold the washing. I'm like, okay, there's something going on for them there. So my job is to connect in a little bit first and go, hey, where are you at? Because I know that when they're feeling connected and when they're feeling good, usually the response to is, could you please fold the washing is, yeah, okay, no worries, you know, and they'll do it. And sometimes they'll be like, oh, can I do it in an hour? And I go, yeah, sure, fine. I don't mind when it gets done, you know, but yeah, I'd, I'd just really appreciate you doing it. So the first thing might be, 
okay, I can see there's something going on for them because they're not really willing to do it and they're feeling, you know, a bit out of balance here. Can I tune in with them, connecting with them a bit to see what's happening? Um, you know, giving them choice and autonomy. You could do it now or you could do it in an hour or two if you like, but I'm, I need it done, you know, in the next few hours. So would you be willing to do that? Um, and then sometimes, as you say, making it fun. So I've seen sometimes when my kids, you know, we have just certain all sorts of different jobs we do in the house that kind of makes the house run just so I'm not doing everything because, you know, that made me a very unhappy mum. <laughs> so I was like, how do we all get our needs met here? Yes. And that means we all contribute in different ways. And so when sometimes I'd say to my kids, could you please do this? And if I got a lot of like, mm, I don't want to do it, or I'd be like, oh, I think they might need some connection. And sometimes I'd go, hey, I'll do it with you and um, bring your speaker out. Let's put on some music and we'll do it together. And even in that opportunity to do it together, I found was a beautiful opportunity for connection, but also, you know, it met their need too to maybe just do something together to give them a little hand in doing that. Even though they're teenagers and they're totally capable of folding the washing, sometimes things feel really big and that's hard for them to do it. It's it's very much like a four-year-old when they're, you know, they still might need help getting dressed in the morning. I find that that often still turns up with teenagers. Not that you need to get them dressed in the morning, but sometimes... <laughs> They need help transitioning to things because sometimes things feel big. And I've, I've seen that turn up in my teenagers a lot sometimes of, do you want me to help you with this? Even though I know they're completely capable of it because sometimes they just need that little bit of extra connection to help them do it. Because as we talk about, and we're talking about in this, when a child feels connected to us, that often elicits cooperation. So when, as Aletha Salter's book is... is um, cooperative and connected is exactly all about that is that when we feel connected to somebody when we're feeling you know good then that makes us want to actually do you know cooperate in a way that feels um that feels good for everybody so i see that with the teenagers as well and i find most definitely with the teenagers that those harsh disciplines and taking things away from them and doesn't necessarily support at all um, moving forward and, you know, more connection. And in any of the times where my kids have acted out in ways that haven't felt great, my go-to always has been me firstly checking with myself. What does this feel like for me? What are these feelings bringing up? Making sure I get as centered and anchored in myself as possible. And then going and having a conversation around, hey, what just happened then? Or why do you think that went on? or how could we do this better and working on a way to look at the bigger picture of what's happened because, you know, they can talk about it to see if we can find a different way to make something happen. Um, and I found that whenever I have both my partner and I have approached that with our children, then whatever behavior has been going on is usually they stop it or they um, ask for help. We find other ways to move forward. So particularly with teenagers, you know, it's so easy to move into wanting to still overpower them, um, particularly, you know, if they're doing stuff that's bringing up a lot of fears for you. But again, I would really offer starting first with that connection and then seeing how you can work together to, to shift whatever's going on. Mm, I love that so much, Lael. And, and, and really going back to that bigger picture that our, our whole paradigm is based on power over and coercion. That's this domination paradigm is based on. So, you know, it's so, um, it's so natural and normal to want to go into those power over places or to go into coercion, um, but just to have lots of compassion for ourselves, but also to really know and connect in if we've been coerced or forced into doing something or made to do something, the, generally what happens is that there's powerlessness, there's resentment, there's frustration, which accumulates and accumulates, which actually leads to less and less actually desire and willingness to cooperate. So that is the paradox is the, the more we do use those more coercive ways, it actually leads to less and less actual natural desire and willingness for our children to actually want to cooperate with anything that we ask them totally. to do. Yes. That's so, that's so right. It's, that's exactly the same in adult relationships. Yes, isn't it's it? With, it's the same with a boss. It's the same yeah. with your partner. Nobody yeah. feels good being no. in those spaces yeah. at all, ever. Yeah. yeah. And actually, yeah. you know, I, I like to talk about uh, willfulness when, you know, the, the in inverted commas willfulness is because what happens if, if a child is always says no to me that doesn't indicate a strong will and we've talked about this also in previous podcasts that actually usually means there's a whole lot of powerlessness in there because if a child just says no 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 all the time they, they don't have that um 
you know, there's some feelings in there of powerlessness that are preventing them in actually being able to be able to freely say, yes, I, I am willing to do that. So it's really just understanding that it's so normal and natural to, if, if we have someone telling us what to do all the time, we're, we're probably going to hear that person's voice and go, I don't even want to listen to them. I don't want to, I'm not going to listen to what they ask me to. So, you know, when, when parents say, if you're, if you're saying to yourself a lot, my child isn't listening to me, can be often interesting to to sink underneath hmm, I wonder what might be happening for them that they're mm. doing that yes or if we just nag at our kids all the time I'm having to ask them five times I'm like okay there's there's something here around the connection because yes. they're not listening so what do we need to do to get connected first yes. and then see yes. where we go from yes and and before I went on the teenage stint um you were talking well, we were about to talk about loving limits is yes. that is that where we're going yeah. well because what I was seeing is we've been I mean really if you think about it there's two main categories of children doing things we don't enjoy they're either not doing what we want them to do or they're doing stuff that we don't want them to do so eliciting cooperation is really about helping them to be more likely to be willing to cooperate with what we want and then the other thing is well what do we do if our child is doing something that we really don't want them to be doing and there there again two key ways of doing that um, so the first thing would be looking at why they're doing that are they what out of those three things they need information um, we can go through the list almost we can so um, I don't know can I think of an example the child is standing on the chair i don't know why i've got that for today <laughs> the child mm. is standing on the chair we give them information or they're clambering on something maybe it's a young child and they're trying to climb up a really high ladder and we're really ascertaining that probably isn't safe um and we give them information about it and they're still doing it and perhaps it's not only about that but they're really agitated so we might normally trust them to be able to listen into their bodies but they're they're agitated they're antsy and they're kind of looking um, distracted and that we really ascertaining from how they are that they're they're not in that grounded space in themselves to be able to feel into what their bodies are doing so we've given them information they keep doing it so then we go okay so it wasn't a need for information because they're still doing it so we can go to then look at what the needs are and um, we can look at well, what, what do I need I need safety what might they be needing might they need needing some fun or some adventure or some um I don't know, something like that. And then we could go, well, how could I offer to give them fun or adventure? Well, how could they get that need met in a way that would also meet my need for safety? So we may then give them some other options. So it might be, you know, I see you're really enjoying climbing that ladder. How about we go, um, I take you to the park and we can go on the, the climbing frame together, something like that. Um, and then if they're still doing the climbing up, we've offered other ways to meet their needs, then what usually is, is it's indicating that the reason for that behavior is accumulated painful feelings, which generally is often the cause of um, agitated behavior, uh, particularly if children are doing things that they really know we don't want them to do, or particularly if they keep on doing things when we're talking and we're connecting and they're still doing that thing. And that's often where that old paradigm will come in when people might say things like these, these voices might go through there. They're disrespecting me or they are, they're winding up or they never listen or what are they going to be like as an adult if they don't do what I say, or, you know, we can go into all these judgments, um, rather than connecting back in with, okay, they're clearly, they're clearly really got some big feelings sitting here that's causing this behavior. And that's the time where it can be really helpful um, to set a loving limit. So that might be, uh, you know, my passion for wording around loving limits. I'm not waiting for you to, to climb anymore up that ladder and to actually do the minimum possible to stop that, whatever that behavior is. So we're saying no to the behavior, but we're saying yes to the underlying feelings. So we might then say, uh, stop the behavior, not, not in a harsh way, not in a punitive way. It's simply a no. And then, you know, and I'm right here and I'm listening. I'd love to hear all about it or, you know, whatever shows up for them, we're then listening to that because we know that the source of that behavior is those feelings. So when we listen to the feelings, those feelings can be expressed and released, which means they can naturally come back to actually being connected in their bodies, being calm and relaxed and being able to, um, you know, make more discerning choices about what's safe or not. Mm, I love that. And again, the same, 
the exactly same for teenagers as well. It's not about climbing on the chair, but it might be, it might be about them being on their phones for ages. It might be, you know, whatever is going on of being able to, you know, give them options and to talk about what's going on and then perhaps setting a limit of, you know, this is, you know, this is what we've all decided is what's going to be part of our family. And at nine o'clock we put our phones away. And so, you know, I'm going to put your phone over here now, but then being able to sit and really hear how they feel about that, of what's going on underneath. Again, I just stress this enough, and I think you probably say the same, Marion. I find that with my children, when they feel connected, if I have to set a limit or something goes on, they are usually like, okay, yep, and they're pretty cool to go with whatever it is and they see the bigger picture of it. But whenever there's big feelings sitting there for them, then when I set a limit, then they're going to tell me how they really feel about that. And that's usually because there's stuff sitting underneath that needs to come out. So that's another thing to think about is that often when kids have got a whole lot of feelings sitting underneath, if they haven't been able to let them come out or process them they will often act in ways to get you to set a limit so they can have the opportunity to push up against it and and process what's sitting underneath so that's often when we see kids looking very agitated or or you can see there's some just you can see their nervous system on some levels a little bit out of balance they will often act in ways that are going to say please set me a limit so i can you know push up against something for these feelings to explode so that that's what i always used to do i used to my kids would walk into the room and i'd kind of scan them and go where are they at are they in balance are they out what's going on here i kind of tune into them a little bit and could see pretty clearly about what was going on for them and then how i would respond to them you know, in that sense of, are they feeling pretty good? Yeah, they're feeling really gentle and kind. Or if they're feeling a little bit agitated and they're starting to tell their brother off for something, I'm like, oh, there's something brewing there. What is it that they're needing to help them come back into balance? And that's how I'd always kind of look at them or approach it so that I would be as, you know, present and spacious as possible to help them find their way back to their centre. So beautiful now it's it's really keeping on going back to isn't it what we were saying is like doing our own inner work as much as we possibly can so we so we actually reside more and more in this space of spaciousness which which really requires us to be doing our own listening to these three things in ourselves yes uh what we're telling ourselves what we're needing our own feelings from the past which are designed i would say to come up when we're parents so that we can do our own uh, listening to our own hurts and the more we do that and uh, I, I know we both sit from this place now is that the more we're able to sit in that capacity to be able to see through that lens of uh, you know okay i can really see something's going on for them uh, you know, what, what are they needing right now? And you know, I love that example you gave a while back now about your son, because, because you, you rest in that lovely, oh, hello. <laughs> um, because you rest in that place, you know, you're, you're so rarely in, in any um, feelings from the past. It's really unusual, isn't it? So your, your, your children are like, you know, what's going on for you? And so it becomes more and more the norm that, that we and our children are, are in more that, that calmer centered place. And it just becomes obvious for either one if something else is showing up and then we, we can meet it with compassion and curiosity to, to see what, what is really going on. What is the source of this and how can I help things at the source so that there's more back into that beautiful balance that you talk about? Absolutely. And I would probably love to just bring into that the the need for or thinking that we need discipline and consequences so totally comes from a place often of of fear, I think, in a lot of parents of I just want my children to be good humans or to survive in the world or those kind of things. So the intentions are always mm. a place of love without doubt, you know. So I think any feelings you might have of, you know, I need to teach my children to be you know, good, respectful humans is beautiful. Absolutely. I always come back to this thing though of that, you know, our children watch and learn. They know what feels good. They know what is kind. They know what um, being empathetic is if they have that model to them. So on some level, the more we are that in ourselves, the more our children develop those skills because they watch it. You know, that lovely saying, kids can't be what they can't see. So we need the way we respond to our children 
children imprints within them of then then how they respond to the world as well so totally understanding that fear that often drives this but you know i don't want them to be rude and i don't want them to be disrespectful then i my i guess my answer often to that is then then you be all those things to them you show them how that looks and then that's how they learn to do it because they're that's being modeled to them and they're being responded to in that way that that's then becomes their internal sense as well Mm, I love that, Lal. And, you know, I think that often comes from, doesn't it, is, is actually playing with these aware parenting tools. And if you're not familiar with them already, I think it soon becomes so clear, doesn't it? I, I just... I just remember when my children were younger, it was so clear. They'd, they'd be agitated, Nancy. They'd have a really big cry. I'd, I'd be right there listening them, to them and loving them. And relaxed and just, you know, really happy in themselves. And um, it just was so obvious. And it, that, that um, happened so many times, it was just really clear. And I think often we need to have that experience a few times to go, oh, that's, that's really the real cause. Uh, and you probably, I always give the example about my children when they're younger in um, restaurants, we go out to restaurants and they'd sit there and they'd be calm and relaxed and they'd be happy and they'd be, you know, just sitting quietly and all of these things. And often there'd be a waiter or waitress who comes, you know, so well behaved and, and their dad and I would often laugh because we thought that probably meant that we would have been told them before, you know, you have to be good and you have to sit still. And if you don't, we're going to do this and the other. And we laughed because we knew it was just, you know, they, they did lots of, expressing of feelings and and so they felt calm and relaxed in their bodies so we didn't need to do anything to to um you know facilitate that any more than just meeting their needs for connection and choice listening to lots of big feelings and then that the beautiful outcome of that was they did all those things that were that are so enjoyable for us as parents it's such a it's such a turnaround isn't it from mainstream paradigm is the paradox is rather than um discipline and consequences that actually the more connected we are with ourselves the more connected we are with our children the more we listen to their big feelings the more naturally they are cooperative and connected and they're able to sleep and they want to do things we ask of them and they're relaxed and they're gentle with the dog and all of those things it's 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 so different as a paradigm and yet once we've experienced it a few times it's just so obvious it's like you know clear as day isn't it mm. and you know what it just it makes parenting so much easier because <laughs> yes. I, I think it really does I mean before I got oh. this and I've shared this many times before you know I came to aware parenting when my son was about eight so I hadn't been doing this for him with him and you know then I had a five-year-old at the time and a baby and so when I started then doing it when they were those ages it actually just took so much pressure off parenting because I just thought my only job here is just to keep connecting and to keep looking behind the behavior. And if I can meet them with that, then we can offload and process what's going on. And then just the, the yelling completely stopped in our family. They were kinder to each other. Feelings were able to be expressed. It just, it changed the whole dynamic in our family because up until then mothering felt very hard, very stressful. It was always this pressure of they've got to be good. And what if they're not good? And What's it going to look like? And just, you know, me trying to keep them happy all the time so they were good and it just was not good <laughs> at all. Mm. And it was hard. It was really hard. So I think seeing, as you say, the other side, it just, it actually, there becomes an ease with parenting. And it's not to say it's easy because as we've talked about here, you know, we have to look at our own stories and we have to do the work and it does really take patience and spaciousness and, and you know, really staying connected with ourselves to turn up for our children in this way. But you know, I think once we get it, it definitely creates a, an ease in, in families or in the home, which I think is what everybody's deep desire is as well. So, you know, I, I love to say to parents who come to my workshops, you know, look, I, I've never grounded my kids. I've never taken stuff away from them. I've never used that kind of punishments and rewards. And, you know, they are really respectful, beautiful humans who are incredibly kind and empathetic. And, you know, I've never had to resort to that in order to, 
to, you know, get them to do what we may need, all those kind of things. Like there are the ways to do it. So I think sometimes as we've talked about here, it is a big shift in consciousness or a big shift in understanding to change from this discipline and consequences paradigm, but that it absolutely is possible to, um, you know, raise beautiful humans, you know, without having to resort to that power over dynamic Yes. And I think the beautiful thing coming back to is like it's, you know, rather than an icing, icing on the cake, which is, uh, you know, so many of us got brought up in that paradigm and, uh, you know, where we behaved in certain ways in order to be liked or in order to be, um, you know, receive the reward or not to be punished. And it leads to often a lot of niceness. But often there's then a lot of the, the painful feelings sit underneath that the, and the sense of really not being loved exactly as we are and that we need to hide parts of ourselves and all of that kind of stuff that um, is so common in our culture and really understanding that this paradigm and this way of responding to children means there is so much less of that because they're not needing to try to be someone other than themselves. What we're doing is we are helping their true loving peaceful gentle true natures shine forth without having um a covering up of of trying to be someone other than themselves because they they come back to their true nature and that is everything you know not just in terms of behavior but in terms of their relationships that they have with others in terms of their self-relationship in terms of what they do in the world is you know it's a, it's a lot of work and as most of us no, it's a lot of work to undo that um, layer on the top and to listen to the painful feelings underneath that we've done as adults. So to help our children just be who they really are, the lovingness that they are, it makes such a difference in the whole lives. I'm so happy you said that because I, I agree with you. The, the paradigm of the good boy and the good girl that we learn when we're young in order to survive, when we carry that into adulthood, that can be really hard to navigate. And I see that a lot with a lot of the parents I work with. So thank you for, for speaking that because it's so true. You know, I, I always come back to that our children, you know, they want to feel that we sit there and say, I see all of you and all of you is welcome here. And I love every part of you, even the angry, raging parts and the, the sad parts and the happy parts and the passionate parts and all of you is welcome here. And exactly as you said, Marianne, when we, when we move into that whole discipline, punishment, you know, paradigm, it really is we love you when you're good and when you're not, we're going to take stuff away, we're going to withdraw our love and, you know, that is where it sets up whole other stories around who we are and what it's safe to be and all that kind of stuff. So it is such a bigger picture, isn't it? Mm, so is. So uh, it's not only, it's not only more enjoyable as a parent because we stay deeply connected with our children. It not only helps them behave in more enjoyable ways because we help them actually come back to that true, calm, connected, cooperative um, nature, but also in terms of their long-term emotional well-being, it has fundamental impacts so i mean really <laughs> this is why we're so in love with aware parenting because mm -hmm. it's it, it's it's not just about behavior it's not just about sleep it's not just about eliciting cooperation is about actually about the foundation of our child's psyche and and when we talk about conditioning and what's passed on is that we're actually setting up them to be passing on a very different um way of being in the world which i think is so needed at this time mm, i love it so true so true so i guess to finish off um i mean we've got some great resources we'll put down the bottom um alfie cohen's books and marion's got some courses we'll link to those what would be your offering marion just in in a thought for people who've listened to this hmm. i think what i would love to offer is you know we often say we we really love our children we do but sometimes we don't realize that the things that we do, um, they are interpreting in a very different way to how we intend them. So if we, if we are choosing to use consequences, we might be thinking, and as you say, for very loving reasons, you know, we want to help our child be, um, be gentle with other children, but often they are not internalizing that same perception. They're often internalizing something very different. So sometimes just putting ourselves in our child's shoes and say, if I was at the receiving end of this phrase or this behavior, what might I tell myself about 
who I am or what I need to be in order to be loved. Mm, that's beautiful. And I would love to offer, again, as we always talk about, lots of compassion to yourself. Mm. If you have used consequences or discipline or punishments, it's okay. It's, you know, we, we are all doing the best job we know how. And, you know, maybe my invitation is just to think about other ways that maybe you could respond to your kids if they are acting out or just looking behind the behaviour or, or thinking about that whole paradigm of how do I help them come back into balance because when they're in balance, often then kids are more willing to to cooperate um so just being mindful around that and a lot of compassion for yourself again as we always say we're usually doing what was done to us or you know what we what society tells us we should do so it's a huge step to tap into going well what's a bigger picture here around how i want to raise my kids and how that feels for me so i always encourage new parents particularly when i work with parents who've had little bubbers to tune into am i doing this because this is what was done to me what my parents tell me i should do what society says or because intuitively this is what feels right so i think it's really good to always tune into you know how would i want to be treated and what's my intuition saying here mm, so beautiful now thank you mm-hmm. pleasure So thank you everybody for listening. We hope this has given you some good insights into this big topic of discipline and consequences. It's a big topic and there's many, many layers to it as well. So we hope it's given you some things to think about or to ponder around how that was for you growing up or perhaps how you're responding to your kids at this moment. Um, So as always, we love you to share our podcast or uh, rate it or leave us a review or any of those things that it tells you to do. (laughs) Um, We love it. And we really love hearing from you too about what you'd love us to talk about. So please feel free to send us a message if you've got a topic you'd love us to explore. Mm, thank you so much thank you so much for listening we really really appreciate not only that you're listening to us and contributing to us by listening but actually what you're doing for your child or your children actually in terms of shifting consciousness on this planet so thank you Mm, bye-bye thanks for joining us on the aware parenting journey please follow us on facebook and instagram at the aware parenting podcast You can find more about Lael at www.laelstone.com.au or find Marion at www.marionrose.net. We wish you much compassion and grace on your parenting journey.